Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen and good morning. My name is Tyler Kirkpatrick. I'm one of the pastors here at Crosspoint, and it is my absolute joy to be able to open the, the Word of God for us for us this morning. Um, I feel like I'm already fighting. You know, I'm from the north, and so my body is still like, right now, I think, I think it's fall, even though that doesn't even exist here. And so we've been here for three and a half years, and like around this time, I, my throat gets like tight. Maybe it's just the pollen you have year-round, but I don't know. So anyways, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22 this morning, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18 in particular. <clears throat> I was talking with a pastor this week um, about uh, a number of things that are happening in the Middle East right now, but he had been a pastor for 20-some years, both in the UAE and Iraq. And I mean, especially in light of what's happening right now, um, just his willingness to take his family and go there and to pastor in that context was really amazing to me. But what was most striking as we continued our conversation was the fact that he told me that he and his wife and his family, they put their house up for sale on September the 12th of 2001. Now, it's amazing enough to have someone like Caroline walk on stage and tell us that she is going to leave her family and her home for the sake of the gospel to take it to a place where she will, in many cases, be rejected. And it, it is amazing that that is true of people, that they are willing to take the gospel to these places. And, you know, with this pastor going to the Middle East right after September 11, you know, I, I don't want us to think what I'm saying right now is that danger and rejection means faithfulness, whereas safety means unfaithfulness. That's not what I mean at all. What I mean to say is that it's really a test of faith when you're willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of the gospel, no matter whether you go or whether you stay. And that is the governing truth of the Christian life, that we live by faith. Each and every one of us in this room who claim Jesus Christ is our Lord, the governing truth of our life is that we are called to live by faith. Now, we may not be asked to go to the Middle East. We may not be asked to go to China. We may not be asked to go to South Korea or Iraq or the UAE. But certainly at some point in your life, you're going to be asked to sacrifice something. Maybe it's family or friends. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's comfort and control. And you're going to be asked to sacrifice all of that for the purpose of living by faith. So I think this is what Genesis 22 means to teach us this morning. And so would you look with me, starting in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 22. <clears throat> After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. 
So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashores, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Let's pray together. <clears throat> oh, Father God, thank you for this morning that you have given us. Thank you that in your kindness and your grace you have gathered us together under this word. Now, Father, what we ask is that you would, by the power of your Spirit, apply this truth to our hearts, that we might know you better this morning, that we might live more faithfully as we consider who you are. Father, we confess that it will only be by your grace that any of this will be possible. And yet, because you have not even withheld your Son, we call upon you to do this work for us this morning for our good, and for your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. All right, so I want to unpack this passage by looking at three truths. Now, certainly there are a number of things that we could gather from this rather long story, uh, and it's well known. It's well known for believers. It's well known for unbelievers, whether you're making a case for the grace and kindness and mercy of God or how horrible, awful, no good God is in asking Abraham to do something like this. It's a well-known and familiar story, but I want to focus on three things in particular. <clears throat> the first is this. The call to faith is a call to obedience. Now, what I want us to realize and what I want us to admit right off the bat is that this is somewhat 
of a difficult story to hear. Right, as we read these things, and, and let's just imagine that we are simply like in our Bible reading throughout the week, and Genesis 22 rolls around with Genesis 23 and 24, I, I think you're going to stop at Genesis 22 and think just for a moment, huh, okay, huh, Genesis 23, right? As you read it, inevitably there are questions that are being brought to the forefront of our mind, I think in particular, the first question is, does God really want Abraham to kill Isaac? If you're not asking that question, you absolutely need to be asking the question, does God really want Abraham to kill Isaac? Now, we'll answer that question, but for this moment, essential to understanding this story as it's given to us is that Abraham absolutely believes that that's what God is asking of him. Without a doubt, Abraham absolutely believes that God is asking him to sacrifice his only son. But for us as readers, we do have a larger picture. There is a larger context that we get that Abraham absolutely would not have gotten. And our story begins with, after these things, God tested Abraham. Now, after these things certainly is referring to Genesis 20 and 21. So in Genesis 20, Abraham and Sarah and everyone who's with them, they come into the land of Gerar, and there is a king there, and his name is Abimelech. Now, Abraham does something that is so unfamiliar to him. He looks to his wife, Sarah, and says, hey, I'm going to need you to act like you're my sister. Because apparently Sarah is, is beautiful, Abraham knows this, and apparently everyone else knows this, and she would make a, a lovely wife. And so Abraham's thinking, man, I, I feel like, by the way, husbands, the height of compliment to your wife would be that you are so wonderful that I feel that men would kill me to make you their wife. <laughs> and so I guess Sarah's like, oh, Abraham, you're so kind. <laughs> yeah, I'll do this strange thing. And so they go into this land, and Abimelech's like, oh, okay, it's your sister, um, I would love for her to come and to, to join me. And then all of a sudden, Abraham's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> hmm. And God comes to Abimelech in a dream and says, hey, man, um, this is not what it seems, and you are um, going to be condemned for taking Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And Abimelech's like, wait a minute. <laughs> what? And so, after all of that, things are settled. God, he, he, he works his grace in the life of Abraham and Abimelech. And Abraham and his, his family, they're allowed to dwell in the land of Gerar. And in fact, Abimelech blesses them because of it. And even a curse that God put on Abimelech and all of his household of barrenness, the Lord lifts that curse from them as well. And then... Isaac, in Genesis 21, the promised son is finally born. And all of God's promises that he has made over these years to Abraham, they are finally coming to fruition in full. 
And so now they're, they're dwelling as a blessed people in the promised land, right? Gerar is the land of the Philistines, which rests in the larger promised land. They're there in the land that has been promised. He has his only son, blessings upon blessings. And not only that, he now has a son where his blessings can be communicated to all of the families of the whole earth. But there's not just Genesis 20 and 21, For 25 years since Genesis chapter 12, Abraham has lived a life. That life has been full of trust of God, and it has been marked by moments of mistrust in God. Lies, right? Because you do understand that this lie that they told Abimelech is not the first time In Genesis 12, as soon as in faith he steps out and goes toward the promised land, the first thing he does, as soon as they get to Egypt, he's like, hey, Sarah, (laughs) you're really pretty. (laughs) I'm going to need you to tell this guy that you're my sister. (laughs) And then he does it again in Genesis 20. The same thing he was rebuked for, he does again. But there are moments of great trust of God too, trusting that God would actually rescue Lot out of Sodom, trust that when God called Abraham in the beginning to leave his land and his people to go into this unknown place that God would show him, he gets his stuff and he goes. So for 25 years, Abraham is living a life, getting to this moment, and things are now really, really good. You see, between Genesis chapter 21 and Genesis chapter 22, there's about 10 years. And for 10 years, Abraham and Sarah rejoice with Isaac. They rejoice with him in the promised land. And everything is as it should be. Nothing is out of sorts for Abraham. And then verse 1 tells us that there's a test. Now, this test is going to be the absolute mountain peak of Abraham's life of faith. Everything from Genesis chapter 12 until this moment rests on this moment. Abraham is not simply being asked to sacrifice his only son. He's being asked to sacrifice everything. You do understand that the the covenant that God makes with Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15, all of it rests on Isaac. This covenant doesn't move forward. These blessings don't actually get communicated to Abraham without an heir to which they can be communicated to the rest of the world. This is not just a son. This is everything. And this is the test. And so really what's being asked is, Abraham, is your faith in the blessings that I have promised you, or is your faith in me? You know, we really need to ask ourselves this morning, I think sometimes we can look at stories like this and think, okay, well, how does this actually apply to me? What's happening? There's a lot of moving parts. It's a a large narrative. But I think we really need to ask ourselves, ask ourselves some of these same, same questions. 
right? Is my main motivation in being here this morning born out of what I can receive? Did I come here this morning simply because I thought I would get something good? Is that my sole purpose for being here? Is, is my faith that I claim motivated day by day by what the Lord can offer me? Do I come on Sunday so I can have a, a better Monday through Friday? Is that the main purpose of our life of faith? Is my faith only about making my life more bearable and securing my own personal interests in the end? You see, the reason that these are real questions that we need to ask is because I believe that these are real questions that Abraham would have thought as he's making his way to Moriah to sacrifice his son. I, I mean, I can't imagine that Abraham's just like, wait, you want me to do what? Okay. And then just goes about his regular day. Like with his mind just kind of thinking like, oh man, you know, the sand in the front yard really needs to be raked this morning. Oh, you know, the roof needs a couple patches. I better get those things in order before I head out. I can't imagine that Abraham was just chill. These are the questions that we have to ask of ourselves this morning. What truly is the motivation for my faith? You see, Genesis 22 teaches us that faith rightly lived certainly does increase our desire for God's blessings. But simultaneously, as our faith increases, so does our desire to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. In every area of our life, whether you are being called into the mission field and asked to sacrifice your comfort and your home to go into a foreign place, to a place that you may be rejected and killed for the purpose of your faith, to go into that place, not just to be there, but to go with the proclamation of the gospel, to come into the church and not just come Sunday after Sunday and sit in this room and do nothing else to come and merely be consumers of what the church can offer you as opposed to what God has called you to and how you might sacrifice your life for Him. These are real questions that we have to be confronted with as we look at what Abraham is being called to in Genesis 22. If we take the easy way out and simply say, okay, well, Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. I don't think I'll ever be asked to do something that difficult. I highly doubt you will. But on a micro scale, you will be asked maybe an infinite number of other things to sacrifice. And so these questions are not theoretical. Genesis 22 is not theoretical. It's, it's true. What God is asking Abraham, he's also asking us. And, and like, spoiler alert... <laughs> You're the only one who can answer the question. Young person, if you are sitting here right now, your family cannot answer the question of, are you really faithful for you? Older person, if you're sitting here, your church cannot, by all of their programs and outreaches and missions, answer the question for you, are you faithful? So what does Abraham do? 
And I mean, honestly, more importantly, even than that, why does he do what he does? So the second truth is this. The life of faith is marked by trusting in God. So what does Abraham do? He does the hardest thing in all of his life. He hears from God and he heads to Moriah to sacrifice his son. You know, I have, I have four boys, only boys. We tried four times for a girl. No, I'm just, well, maybe it's not a joke. I don't know. We have four boys. We tried at least three times for a girl. We have four boys. I'm just going to tell you, even reading this story, and I don't know how many times I've read this in the past two weeks, but when you get to the moment where all of these things are happening, the, the, the wood being cut, the wood being laid on Isaac, the moment even three days into his journey when he looks and sees the mountain, I, it's, it's like emotively overwhelming to me. Abraham, sacrifice your son. And he sets out for Moriah. Why would you do this? Abraham, what is wrong with you? I couldn't imagine giving up any of my children, let alone the only one I have. But we need to get inside of Abraham's head because it's really important to know what he was thinking when he committed himself to making such a sacrifice. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Why, Abraham, were you willing to do this? It's because his experience of God fueled his faith. Abraham had lived so closely with God, both in his moments of disobedience and in his moments of obedience, that he trusted that what God had promised to him, he would certainly deliver. And so at this moment, he's thinking, if you're asking me to do this, God, then I truly believe that you're going to provide what it is you ask. Even if that means, and I fully believe this, that you are able to conquer death. And what Hebrews tells us is that, well, we read the story in Genesis 22. Isaac doesn't actually die. But what Hebrews 11 says is that actually, because of the faith of Abraham, Isaac was, figuratively speaking, already dead before they stepped out. Because Isaac, excuse me, Abraham 
He had so much faith in God to deliver His promises that he thought, if I kill him, God will raise him. Now, I I do want to be careful that we don't look at Abraham's faith, this exemplary faith, and sterilize like this story as if faithful obedience is in some way actually a very easy thing to do, right? When God calls you, hey, uh, pack up your things, head out of Columbus and head to Antarctica for the sake of the gospel. And you're like, you know what? Okay, (laughs) right? Bet. (laughs) Ain't nobody doing it like that. You're going to have a few conversations with the Lord. First off, you sure? So I don't want to look at this and, and, and put before us an example of some sort of unattainable faith that we can in no way possibly ever live. That, that's not true at all. Right At the very heart of this test is the difficulty of it. You know, Moses, in, in giving us this account, he just gives us a lot of matter-of-fact details. Like, hey, the Lord said he wants, to go and, wants you to go and offer your son as a, a burnt offering to the Lord. Abraham gets up, cuts some wood, puts it on a donkey, gets his men, goes. By the way, he sees the mountain, goes to the mountain, gets the boys, tells the guys to stay, goes up the hill, picks up the knife. I mean, that's how the story is told. Like, we actually don't have enough verses here for this story. I need more. <laughs> I, I don't want to be the only one that's thinking, what? You, wait, what? How did we already get to the conclusion of this? Right? I want more juicy details. I want to know the pain and I want to know the struggle because I want to be able to identify with Abraham. And I'm telling you right now that the way I identify with Abraham is not the guy who simply hears from God and does everything perfectly. You're not that person, but neither was Abraham. You know, I think in between all of these matter-of-fact details, there's still plenty of opportunity to change his mind. Do you wonder why the Lord made Abraham go on a three-day journey to sacrifice his son? It's not because this mountain in Moriah happened to be a well-known place for sacrificing things. How do we know? Because after this event, Abraham names the mountain the Lord will provide. He wants him to go on a three-day journey to a no-name place for the purpose of giving him plenty of opportunity to change his mind. To give him plenty of opportunity to disobey the Lord. Can you imagine, as a parent... The most striking moment to me in this whole account is the moment that we're told, and why on earth are we told this, that Abraham looked up and he saw the place where he would sacrifice his son. Could you imagine that moment? Could you imagine the degree of challenge of this test in that moment. Even the detail of reaching out his hand to take the knife and to hold it up. Man, just grab the knife and do what you have to do. Like, oh, spare us. 
but we're meant to see that there's plenty of opportunity to disobey. That this call to faith is not actually as easy as we might think. Abraham, just do the next thing. Just do what you got to do. Get your stuff, go. Three days. And here's what we learn. That Abraham's greatest fear is not in losing a son, but in losing his God. He believes so strongly in God's promise that he trusts God to provide a sacrifice. Did you catch in verse 5 what he tells the servants who went with him? He said, stay here. The boy and I, we will go to the mountain and worship, and we will come back to you. Look with me at Romans 4, 20 and 25. Where does that kind of faith come from? Truly. Where do you get that type of faith? That you can say, stay here. The boy and I, we are going to go worship the Lord on the mountain. We will come back to you. Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 25. Speaking here of Abraham, it says, No unbelief made him, Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why by his faith, Abraham was counted as righteous. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for the tr- our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you want to know why Abraham was capable of this level of faith? Because Abraham's life was all about God. Not in the type of way where he never like, makes any missteps or he never disobeys or he never struggles with sin or even falls into sin, right? You've lied to two different kings. This is the simplest test that you've ever been given, and you failed both of them. And if you're literally just trying to compliment your wife on her appearance, find another way. Like, what is happening? And so, and so we're not talking about someone who is perfect in their faith and obedience to the Lord. We're talking about a real-life human being that could actually sit amongst us as one of us. And even he would bring into this place all kinds of stuff from his week. Even he would have on his mind the failures of his past. And even he would have to look to his God in order to be faithful. What Paul is telling us in Romans is that Abraham's life was not successful in faith because he was particularly strong in faith, but because he oriented his life and his mind and his heart and his eyes towards God, the one who made him promises. You see, the promises that God made to Abraham, he knew he would never receive them unless God truly intended to give them. 
That's what this test is all about. You know, I, I can't imagine. I have all of my own stuff that I've brought into this room today. I can't imagine the collective hurt that we have here today. The, the ways in which we have failed this past week. The ways in which we have been tested in faith and failed. Our, our, our moments of, of success in living for the Lord. There's all kinds of stuff happening. And you can multiply that in a number of different ways to, to include struggles with family, struggles with coworkers. There's all kinds of stuff that has happened to us. You know, the worst thing we can do in, in these types of moments where we're considering the trials of, of living in a fallen world, the worst thing that we can do, and it's usually the first thing we do, is we consider our capacity for faith. We, we, we look around at our circumstances, we look in particular at our failures, and we, we say to ourselves, if only I would have had a little more faith. If, if I could have had just a little more faith this week, then it wouldn't have turned out this way. You said that to yourself. I have. But here's what this story is communicating. In, in one of the most amazing descriptions of what it means to be faithful to God, here's what we're being told. That faith isn't made strong by believing we are capable of great acts of faith. Our faith isn't made strong by believing that we're capable of great acts of faith. What Abraham would tell us, what his life tells us, is that strong faith comes from believing that God is able and willing to do through us and for us more than we are capable of ourselves. Y'all ever heard that saying, it's like, a, um, yeah, God will never give you more than you can handle. I can't handle anything. <laughs> like, are you trying to encourage me right now? <laughs> like, I am so weak. God will not give you more than you can handle? Is that a joke? That's my whole life. I, could you imagine somebody like, you know, shooting a meme to Abraham and they're like, and he's like, God will never give me more than I can handle. Dude's on a donkey heading to Moriah to sacrifice his son as a test of faith. Are you kidding? Faith is not about our ability to muster a powerful faith. Faith is about trusting in God. Do you want to qualify it? You shouldn't. Faith is about believing that God will do what He promises. And so if you are beating yourself up, if you're thinking, oh, if I just, just a little more faith, run to the Lord. Sit under His Word. 
cry out to him and confess your failure and your trust in him. You know, there's no doubt that Abraham truly believed that God would provide what he promised. There's absolutely no doubt. So here's the third truth. The reward of faith is God's provision. The reward of faith is God's provision. So as, as we move along in the story, as, as Abraham has been called to go to do this, to take his son, and as he makes all the preparations and takes his journey towards Moriah, right, 10 years after having had Isaac in a really good, blessed state, he's asked to go, and he goes. And he even takes a knife, and he raises it above the boy. Right? He's going to drive the knife into Isaac. Right? It wasn't one of those where you're like, Right? Like, apparently, it was, there was so much intention in this act that what happens next is the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham! Right? We're talking like, like about to go down. And the angel of the Lord cries, Abraham, Abraham. And it's in this moment that we learn something. This test isn't actually about sacrificing Isaac at all. It's about whether Abraham would sacrifice his desire, his will, for God's. You do remember, to lose Isaac is to lose everything. To lose Isaac is to lose the promise and blessing of God. We're not just talking about a son. You know, you want to make this like applicable to us today, you do realize that all the families who are blessed through Abraham includes us. If the knife goes down, and if God chooses not to act, God fails. And we're here today for no reason whatsoever. We're here for a fairy tale. We're here just to be able to make sense of what it is to live in an awful world. That's all we're here for, if God doesn't deliver. And then we find the purpose of the test. God says, now I know that you fear God. Do you want me to explain that to you? If I could be so bold to ask, I would actually ask that you explain it to me first. <laughs> right? God looks to him and says, now I know. Now I know. Now I know that you fear the Lord. Like, did God just learn something? Like, what is happening? First, you're giving me a story where you're asking Abraham to sacrifice his only son and now you're insinuating that you'd have just learned something by this act that you did not know before. 
I, like my, my mind can only take so much. But I think for all of the mystery here in God saying, now I know, and we know that God is omniscient, and he knows all things, and cognitively speaking, he learns nothing. The Bible is very true to that point. And even though here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses gives us this line that says, now I know, for all of the mystery that is wrapped up in that, the, the, the actual point is really simple for us. Faith confessed must become faith lived. Faith confessed must become faith lived. Now I know. Now I know. For all of these years that you have been walking towards this promise, you were willing to give it up, all of it, out of faith in me. Faith confessed must become faith lived. Look at James chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. That is, faith confessed became faith lived. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God." You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You see, it's at the intersection of faith confessed and faith lived that the provision of the Lord is found. It's at this intersection of confessing and doing that God's provision in our life, His promises, they are found to be true. It's here like Abraham, and we, when, we, when we have confessed, God, take it all, take it all, that we can turn around and look and realize that He's given us everything. Could you imagine a more beautiful ram <laughs> to ever exist? I hope up to this point you've been asking, what about Jesus? The truth is, there's not really one verse in this passage that we can pull out that speaks the gospel louder than the whole story. You know, I don't want us to forget that the only reason we're actually capable of faith in the first place is because it has been secured for us. What God requires of his children, he gives. God calls for Abraham to sacrifice his only son. That will only ever make sense when we fully realize the way in which God provided. You see, a ram in a thicket is not enough. It stayed the hand of God in that moment, 
but it wouldn't forever. John tells us in John 3.16 that there was another father with another only son. In John 3.16 it says, For God the Father so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. What did the Father give His only Son to? To a cross. To a death. To sacrifice. Two chapters before John penned these words under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he wrote of a moment where John the Baptist saw Jesus for the first time. And John the Baptist said this of seeing Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, the ram is not enough. But the only Son of the Father, the Lamb, is everything. It was enough for Abraham in Genesis 22, and it's enough for us today. This is where faith becomes real, believing that God will provide what He promises and trusting that Jesus is the sacrifice that God asks of us, and yet provides for us. If I could tell you one thing this morning, it would be trust in Jesus. There is no other way but to trust in Jesus. Confess your sin, place your faith in Him, and live for the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for this day. Thank You for the time that You have given us. Thank You for Your Word to us. And thank You, God, every time that You strike us with the hard truths of Your Word, You provide us with grace and mercy. Father, until the day that we take our last breath, Nothing is done. Nothing is over. There's still time. Oh, Father, I pray right now, if there is an unbeliever in this room, that you would reach out and draw them to yourself, that you would implant faith into their newly regenerated heart, and that you would call them to yourself, that we might rejoice this morning and glorify your name, and that Christ might be exalted because of it. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room that we would be encouraged in our faith, that you would call us to sacrifice all of what we have for your sake, knowing that all that you have promised is sure and even now is true. Oh, Father, be with us, be glorified through us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.